0: We to reflect today on the institution of the Eucharist. And the fruit of the mystery is a love of the Eucharist. It's an unfortunate thing that as we've heard in recent years that there are a scandalously large number of Catholics who do not believe in the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Depending on the poll some 70% or so do not believe he is present. He is a sign, it is a symbol they think. But it is actually Christ and truth. A shame that only 30% of Catholics believe this. And we wonder what's wrong with our church and with our world today. If society believes that God is not present with us, if Catholics believe that God is not present with us, it's easy to find out what's wrong, why we're in the wrong direction, why we lost our way and lost our hope in so many places. It's to believe in Christ, to believe in Jesus in the Eucharist, not just intellectually, not just to be able to, to, to be able to, to respond with our catechism knowledge of transubstantiation and the various, you know, the, the substance and accidents of the bread and the wine that become the body and blood of Christ. Not just to know it intellectually, good to know it intellectually, yes, but to know it most of all in the depths of one's soul. To know in your heart that God is present in the Blessed Sacrament, that He is here. It's one of my favorite quotes from Saint John Vianney. It is a, the, the little booklet of, of all the quotes of Saint John Vianney of all of all, all kinds of various topics. But the one that continues to resonate most most deeply in my heart is his his acclamation, his proclamation that he would continually exhort and remind his people, pointing to the tabernacle, would say, "He is here. He is here. He's here. God is with us. He's here." Even the people outside the chapel, even outside the church when St. John Vianney, when when he was preaching, especially when he was preaching on the Eucharist, people knew the love that he had within his heart for Jesus. And the people that couldn't hear outside, the people that were outside, it's a very small church. He could probably fit 10 of them inside of ours. Those that couldn't fit inside the church to be able to hear his words could at least see the man and see the passion, see the love that he had, to see the tears that would often roll down his cheeks as he spoke about the Lord in the Eucharist. He was a man who knew in his soul, in the depths of his soul, he is here. And he wanted everyone else to know about it. It's for us to know that he is here. He's not a sign or a symbol. The Eucharist is not just a nice thing or a remembrance of an event from times past. If you want that, there are a number of other churches that are available to you. But if you want Christ is here. To know Christ, then, is to love Him. To know that Christ is present here in the sacrament, to know that this is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, the Creator from whom all things exist. If we know that it is Him, it must change the way we respond to the Eucharist. It cannot be simply kind of kept as a, as a cavalier symbol, as something casually, tra- casually treated and, and acknowledged. But we must respond in love because it is not a thing. It is a person. It is God himself right here in our midst. And so I would suggest to you there are three general things for us to reflect upon today on how is it that we show our love for the Lord and then simultaneously increase that love for the Lord. The first is that of Eucharistic piety in a general sense. The second is that of the manner in which we receive Holy Communion. And the third is that of spending time with the Lord. The first, Eucharistic piety. How edifying it is to see a soul who comes into church and knowingly genuflects towards the Blessed Sacrament. Here in our church, we have him right here in the center. Sometimes he's off to the side, but we're regardless, whenever we walk into a church to find where is he, and to bend our knee to him, to acknowledge the one into whose house we have come, to greet the master of the house and of our soul, to bend the knees, to humble ourselves before him, to worship and to adore him. It is a blessing to see faithful hearts and knees bending before the Lord. In a similar manner, when we come into the house of God to acknowledge that it is a place of reverence and of silence, we don't come in like we would would do at the movie theaters or a sports arena. We come acknowledging that God is present in this place, that this place, because of His presence, is fundamentally different than everywhere we go. And our response ought to indicate that our silence and our reverence, and awe in the mystery that is present here before us. And of course, the always present sign of the cross as you pass by a church. To make the sign of the cross is simply a recognition of a faith, a belief in the presence of Christ. When those who are with us who are not Catholic or not, not practicing their faith, see us make the sign of the cross, it may be an invitation, an opportunity to talk about the presence of our Lord. To talk about the Eucharist. But above all, it's a little gesture of your love for Him. an acknowledgement as you pass by, that you know that He is there and He is there for you. And as He shows His love continuously by that presence, so you in a simple gesture show yours. Eucharistic piety in a whole variety of ways is an expression of our love. The second thing for us is to reflect upon the manner in which we receive Holy Communion. Of course, as a basic starting point, we must receive communion worthily, which means that we must be free from grave sin and have fasted for the appropriate length of time. To receive Holy Communion while one is in the state of a grave sin is to commit another grave sin and to commit sacrilege on top of these. If one is is in the state of grave sin, Rather than to come to Holy Communion, one must go first to the sacrament of confession and to be freed from those sins and then to approach the holy altar. To receive unworthily in such a manner is both to profane Christ in the Eucharist as well as to do damage to one's soul. It's for good reason that the church cautions us through the person of St. Paul in, in his first letter to the Corinthians, as he writes and he says, he says, discern the body and blood of the Lord before you eat and drink. Discern it, lest you eat and drink judgment upon yourselves. It's important for us, necessary for us, to acknowledge who it is that we receive and to receive him well. Additionally, to make sure that we fast so that not only is our soul clean, but also our body is clean and prepared to receive him lest our blessed Lord be mixed in with the Snickers bar or the Coke that we just had on the way in. To allow our bodies even to be ready to receive Him. That is a great gift. These signs of of cleanliness, of openness, of reception. Because the physical signs, they lead us to that deeper reality of the openness of our soul, the willingness in our soul to receive Him in our depths. Additionally, the manner in which we literally receive Him, is an important thing for us. It's a 1969 document, Memoriale Domini. Was from Pope St. Paul VI. So after the, after the Second Vatican reforms, the, the, these renewals and things were coming forth, the document was released by the Holy Father, and it's the document that allowed for communion in the hand. But if you read the document, it states very clearly that the preference of the church is to receive communion kneeling and on the tongue, it's the traditional posture, which should be preserved. And it is, to use the document's own words, more, di- more dignified and more reverent to do so. Don't hate me. This is the church who speaks to us and invites us to reflect upon these things, to reflect upon the manner in which we receive our blessed Lord. And so I rejoice that so many do indeed make use of the rail. And to be able to kneel and to receive our blessed Lord on the tongue. But if you do choose to receive in the hand, which is your prerogative, for whatever reason it is that you do, I would encourage you to one particular thing look at your hand after you receive. Look at your hand. The liturgy of the church in the traditional rite would require me to hold my fingers together after touching the host. I preserve that in the new rite too. But to hold one's fingers together is simply to acknowledge the fact that there are very likely crumbs on my finger, very small particles of Christ. And the church has taught for centuries that if it is the smallest visible particle of Christ, if I can see it, it is Him. If I can see even the smallest particle, it is the fullness of the divinity, the body, blood, and soul of Christ right there. It's why we use the communion patents. It's why I meticulously clean everything. It's why there's a lot of time in, invested in, in purifying the vessels, lest something be left behind. And in the same manner, attentiveness must be given to reception in the communion in a hand, in the same manner. After receiving in a hand, to look at your hand, and to see, is there a particle? Is there anything left of Christ? The traditional posture, the normative posture, in fact, would be to receive, simply to bring, to lower oneself and to receive uh, from the palm directly into one's mouth, not to take with the hands and then to, to receive um, in that manner. But if you receive in that manner as well, look at your fingers too. Again, I've got particles on my fingers all the time during, during the Eucharistic prayer. It would be the greatest of sorrows to know that our blessed Lord, having been received Is then left even in the smallest of places to be pressed upon the rail as you use it to get up, or to fall from your hand on the floor, or to be in the parking lot or the street or your pocket. It is a grave thing to be honorable in the presence of the Lord and to honor Him in every smallest particle. So if you do receive in the hand, please, please make sure He is consumed and not simply remaining there in some subtle manner. Which leads me to the third point, that of spending time with the Lord. It is good for us to spend time with the Lord. It's Him. It's Christ who is with us. It's the Lord Jesus who told us in St. Matthew's Gospel, "'Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest.'" And it's a wonderful thing to to be able to to have done so during his earthly life, for people to be able to come to him and to find solace, to find healing and peace and grace and mercy, to rejoice, to be in his presence and just to see the man, to see God in flesh, a most marvelous thing. But before our Lord ascended into the heavens to be seated at the right hand of the Father in his glory, he told the disciples, I will not leave you orphans, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And we know that he is with us in a spiritual sense, that he is with us everywhere we go. But he fulfills that promise in a very particular way in the Holy Eucharist, that he is with us. He's here. He's through that door to the left in the chapel. He's in the Adoration Chapel next door. He's in the Sisters Chapel. He's at the Cathedral is it Holy Family, St. John's, Christ the King, St. Francis Savior, St. Aloysius, Our Lady of Mercy, Sacred Heart? He's here. He's all over the place. He wants to be with us. That was his closing promise, is I will not leave you. And he hasn't. Rather than leaving us, he has made himself seemingly infinitely more present so that we can go to Him in time of need and to be with Him at every moment. When we come to offer Holy Mass, it's the fact that we enter into an incredible mystery. Every Mass, whether we we see it uh, or not, you know, 99 times out (laughs) out of 99 times, really, we don't see the reality of what's taking place before us. But God is with us. But even more so, we are with Him because when we celebrate Mass, the the, the the life of the Lord, the Paschal mystery, the, the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ, that because He is the eternal God, these things were essentially brought into heavenly reality. They were copy and pasted into heaven. They happen eternally there. So every time we offer Mass, every time we come to the sacred liturgy, we enter into in a serious and, and, and a very, a very incredible and mind-blowing way, we enter into heaven, we enter into, we tap to that that one singular experience of the life of Christ, and it is present here in a way that our brains simply cannot gather and fathom. We're at the Last Supper. Right now, we in a mysterious way are present to the time and the place where our blessed Lord said for the first time, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in memory of me. We're also present in that exact place and time where our blessed Lord climbed upon the cross and he offered himself as priest, as victim and as lamb of sacrifice there upon the altar of the cross. He laid down his life and allowed his sacred heart to be pierced for us and the blood and water that poured forth was a sign of the church's sacraments, the church fathers tell us. A sign of the love and the grace that comes forth from the heart of Christ. A sign of life being poured out for us. We're also present at the resurrection. when Our Lord, His body was glorified in a magnificent way, and it radiated light once again, as at the Transfiguration. We're also present at Emmaus, as our blessed Lord walked down the road with the two disciples, and they, unknowingly, unknowing who it was, began to speak about all these things and to converse about what had happened in these days. And our Lord opened the Scriptures for them. And as He stayed with them at dinner, He opened. He, they 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 shared a meal. And he broke the bread, and he blessed it. And it says, the scriptures tell us that they they knew him in the breaking of the bread. They knew him, that he was there, and then he disappeared before their very eyes, the bread being left there before them. Christ in the Eucharist, given to them. That same mystery is what we celebrate every single Mass. It's not a sign or a symbol or just kind of a a mere recalling things as a sort of play. It is actually making it present. We are there and he is here and he wants us to stay here with him. To be like John who at the Last Supper laid his head upon the breast of our Lord and was able to listen to his heartbeat, to listen to the the heartbeats of love for him and for others. How incredible it must have been to simply lay there upon the breast of Christ and to hear his heart. I'm firmly convinced that's the only reason John was able to go to the cross. None of the others laid their head upon the breast of the Lord, at the last supper it indicates. No one else was as close to him as John frequently was. And no one else was at the cross except Our Lady and Mary Magdalene and some of the other women. It was John and John alone who so frequently was there and the silence with his head upon the breast of the Lord, laying there present, being present to our Lord, allowing himself to be loved and loving him in return. It's that that allowed him to go to the cross. We are blessed to be able to celebrate these same mysteries. Before mass this morning, someone came to me and and, uh, in a joking manner said, Father, you've really... This homily series has really really changed the way I pray the rosary. The way I say the, the way that I understand the mysteries of the rosary are, are, are dramatically changed. I said, Oh, how so? And he said, All this time I thought the mysteries were about virtues, when in fact the fruit of the mysteries really is cats. I said, Fascinating. He was joking about the fact that I like cats and my homilies frequently talk about cats in the Holy Land and I actually had a whole stream of cats in the Holy Land things. I was texting people while I was there, just kind of joking with my, my family about it. And on the front of the bulletin this week, you'll look and you'll see that there's not a picture of the room of the Last Supper. There's a sign that says the room of the Last Supper, and there's a picture of a cat. And there's good reason. And so I was kind of reflecting upon that fact, and I was like, well, if the fruit of the mysteries is cats, fine and good… But if that's the case, I would invite you to reflect upon and to imitate the cat that I met at the room of the Last Supper, which is the cat on the front of the bulletin. Our group was going to, uh, to the room, and they were going, and the three priests were kind of lagging behind because we're slackers, I guess. And so our, our group was going, and another group got in front of us. It got between uh, the the rest of our group and the three priests. And so we just kind of kept following along, knowing, knowing we were going to the same place, right? And so uh, our group goes, and, and they peeled off to the right whenever they got uh, just to the outside. So they peeled off to the right and, and went to go, you know, pray the mystery of the, of the rosary for that decade and to be able to talk about the place, read the Scripture, and reflect upon it and have our, our, our kind of group discussion time but we didn't realize that, and so we kept following the group that was directly ahead of us until we saw our group, which was now behind us and, and out of reach, because there were more people following in the, the line behind us who were kind of boxed in. So we said, you know, let's just keep going. So we went, went up and made our way to the upper room, and there we were able to, the three of us, um, to be able to pray in that place where, where God gave us the Eucharist and He gave us our priesthood, because that's the place where the institution of the priesthood also happened. When the Lord said, "Do this in memory of me," that was it. That was the moment where priesthood became a true thing, a true commandment of the Lord. And so the three of us rejoiced and and prayed there for a bit with those great mysteries of that simultaneous institution. And then we made space and you know kind of cleared out so that other people could kind of come in and, and be in the room and pray in their groups. And so we went out there was a little a little stairwell we went up onto the roof to be able to look out over the city and, and see it from a higher perspective which was really neat Meanwhile our group was still still down down at the bottom making their about to make their way over and came down the stairs and lo and behold there's a little calico cat sitting there I like cats when I see a cat I go pet the cat so I walked over and you know uh, big, six-foot-tall, black-robed hulking figure. You know, the cat's kind of a little a little reticent to, you know, not sure exactly what's about to happen, but I walked over and, and kind of, you know, knelt down, and my cassock kind of curled up around me and all, and pat the cat on the head a little bit, you know, she's was friendly enough, and then she got up, did a little cat stretch, and walked over, laid down on my cassock, laid her head down, and went to sleep. Interesting. Usually cats, you have to work, you have to win them over a little bit more. And I'd seen a whole variety of cats, a whole many, well, a large number of cats all around the Holy Land, but this was the one and only one that walked over and laid down to sleep. And it was striking to me. And I would say that we should imitate that cat in our posture towards the Lord, because this cat didn't know what was going on, Right? big dark-robed figure, a little bit reluctant perhaps at the, end, at the start, but seeing a place of shelter and safety it simply walked over, laid down, and rested. And this is what Christ wants from us, to know that in Him is a place where whenever we see the big, the big hulking thing of whatever is, whatever is taking our peace in this life, whenever we see the troubles of life, the anxieties, the concerns, the fears, the worries, the doubts, the despair, the discouragement, the joys, the sorrows, the everything that we experience in life, when we experience all those things, our blessed Lord wants to be the one to whom we can go and curl up like a cat and just stay there with Him and trust. Trust that things are going to be okay. Trust so much that you can just lay down and go to sleep in a sense because you know that you're in good hands. You know that things are going to be okay. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. This past week, we were um, on our clergy formation days, the the priests of the diocese, and there was one point in in the midst of the other things, so it's like a continuing education. So we have classes and this kind of thing, with times for prayer and times for community, and the you know the usual things at a conference. And so there came a point um, in there when when I was talking with some of my brother priests, and I was I was really getting kind of frustrated about things, was kind of reflecting upon the you know some things in the local church and things in the universal church, and and just just getting really really frustrated, uh, really discouraged, bordering on despair of just like like why. Why? Why is this even, why is this even happening? And just, just a really, a really heavy weight seemed to kind of come and rest upon me. And it was a darkness that was present there. And it would have been easy for me to walk 20 feet away to the hotel bar and get a drink to take the edge off. Make things feel a little better. It would have been easy for me to walk down the hall to my room and just turn on the TV and just kind of zone out. It would have been easy for me even to choose a better option and to go back to my room and pick up one of the, one of the books that I had brought with me and to be able to read about a saint and, and you know, maybe find some, some edification there, but really simply just to, to kind of to not think about things anymore and to escape from reality. I've done a whole variety of things. But deep in my heart, I knew that I needed to do one thing, and it was to go be with Jesus. Archbishop Fulton Sheen is one of the most formative figures in my life, even though I've never met the man. it would be one of my greatest joys. Please, God, I can get to heaven and to see him and give him a big hug. Because he loved the Eucharist too, just like St. John Vianney. And he dedicated himself from the first start of his priesthood every single day to spend an hour in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, no matter what. And he said that there were times in his priesthood that he had to stay stay outside the church because the church door was locked. And so he just got as close to the Blessed Sacrament as he could from outside the church and stayed there to pray. And there were other times he said that he went into the church and he got locked in the church and the only way out was to slide down the coal chute. But no matter what, he was there. He was going to spend an hour with the Lord. And so... I knew I needed to go be with the Lord. And I knew it was almost 10 o'clock at night. And so the best shot was for me probably just to go sit outside. We had been to the church earlier in the day to offer Mass as a group. And so I knew where the tabernacle was. And so I said, Well, I'll go and wrap around the side of the church and I'll just go sit by the wall next to where he is. I'll at least be close. And so I drove over to the church. I pulled in and there was another car in the parking lot. And in front of the car was a little sign that said, Reserved for Perpetual Adorers. Ah, Perpetual Adoration Chapel. Even better than the sidewall of the outside of the church. And so I walked over the door, it was, of course, locked. Uh, it was closed because it's night. But a few minutes later, someone came for their regular hourly slot and was kind enough to, to have me join them for an hour of prayer. And I was able to go and be with the Lord to pray my, my daily prayers, to pray my breviary, to do some spiritual reading, to pray with the Scriptures, to be able to, to journal and write a little bit about things, but most importantly, just to, to be there with Jesus and to talk to Him, to tell Him what was on my heart, to tell Him about all the things that were present there, that weight that had been, that had been coming over me, and just to tell Him all about it. And whenever I left... My soul was at absolute peace. If I had gone to the bar, if I had watched TV, if I had read a book, that would not have been the case. I might not be thinking those things, but they would still be on the back of my mind. They would still be somewhere in my heart. There would still be a weight that would be placed upon me. But with Jesus, He gave me an answer. that's the reality of things. In the seminary, we would often kind of joke that if you didn't know a question on the test, just write, it's a mystery. So everything's a mystery. About the Trinity, it's a mystery. Jesus, mystery. Blessed Mother, mystery. Anything, mystery. Can't say it's wrong. They might mark it wrong, but it's still true. And I would suggest to you that the answer to literally everything in this earthly life is Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Whatever it is that's on your mind, what's on your heart, any concern, any joy, any sorrow, whatever it is, the answer is Jesus. It's to be with him, to stay with him, to make time for him. from time to time, we make announcements that we need adorers. I had someone come to me yesterday and say, do you need money for the doors? I said, not, not doors, adorers. Oh, okay, good. They thought something happened over to the chapel. <laughs> we need perpetual adorers, people who are willing and able to sit with Jesus. And we say that, and, and I acknowledge the fact 100% that 9 to 3 Monday through Friday is not everyone's free time, typically. Most people have jobs or work or family life or school or these kinds of things. But there are also others who are available. And it's always, it's always a sorrow that I have to announce that we need more adorers to go to commit to time with our blessed Lord in the sacrament. I would much, much rather say we have so many people coming to adoration and so many requests for it we're actually going to extend the times i would love to be able to say we have so many people we're actually we're going to have to enlarge the chapel or even maybe build a new one entirely i would absolutely love to say those things but i can't right now maybe one day but right now we're still just trying to get time slots filled trying to find a spot for someone to come and stay with the lord and again, I know that many of you aren't able to do that just because of work and, and things. And if you're not able to, that's fine. If you are able to, I would encourage you, please do so. But if you can't make it during the regular times, still make some time for him. Sometime during the week. Whether it's in a perpetual adoration chapel or whether it's a, a, a holy hour that a church is offering, whether it's simply making a visit the, the, the beautiful you know, tradition of making a visit, of stopping by a church and, and being able to, to go and pray in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, even if it's our Lord in the tabernacle and not exposed like in, in Eucharistic adoration. Make time for Jesus Christ. It's literally the most important thing you can do. There's not a single soul that I have ever met who has lamented spending as much time as they did with Jesus Christ but I have met numerous individuals who at the end of their earthly life or in a time of dire illness lamented the fact of not having done so. It's for us to be close to Him, He who is close to us. And so this is our invitation today, to give thanks to God for the Eucharist, to thank Him for the love that is poured out to us in the Eucharist, to thank Him for His generosity that is given, how he comes to heal us and give us so many graces in this most marvelous little mystery. Let us ask the Lord to increase our love for him, to help us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to help others to do the same. Because in so many places, he is not loved. It is for us to make up for it, to come in this mystery where we find ourselves once again In the Last Supper room, at Calvary, at Emmaus, in the tomb, he is here, just as he was there. So let's turn in gratitude for this gift, for the love shown to us, and increase our love for him who first has loved us in all things.